to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to continue in our series of herd health-related topics. We started this back in January and continued in February. For the month of March, we're going to focus today on the topic of weak calf syndrome. And to discuss this, I'm joined today by Dr. Lindsay Wachter-Mead, who's Nebraska Extension Beef Educator, as well as veterinarian. Thanks for joining me today. I'm glad to be back, Aaron. Well, as we look at many people right now are in the midst of calving or soon will be, and with the weather conditions we've had this year, we had the drought last summer, followed by a lot of cold and snow that occurred for many parts of the state. This has resulted in a situation where we're seeing many cows come into calving at a lower body condition score than we would typically target. And that's resulting in a scenario where we could see greater incidence of weak calf syndrome this year. Uh, Share with us more about what this syndrome is and what are some things producers should be aware of related to it? Yeah, so unfortunately, I do think, you know, we are seeing a a heightened awareness of it this year for for multiple reasons. And we'll get into that um, as we talk here today about what what those reasons are, because there are a lot of factors that go into what weak calf syndrome truly is. I wanted to start out with a little bit of a statistic. And um, this is from the National Animal Health Monitoring System. It's from 2007, but I do think that the data is relevant to today too. Um, They survey all of the beef cow um, producers across the United States, and they asked how many calves uh, were born dead or died before weaning. And on average, we had about 6% of the 2007 calf herd that that didn't make it to weaning. So that's a, that's a little bit, I mean, significant of a number, 6%. But the more significant of that is that of those 6%, 81% of them actually died in the first three weeks of life. So I bring that up because this is why we always talk about that first, that first month of life is really critical. And weak calf syndrome is definitely going to be dealing with those first 24 hours or so of life. But we can just start with like what, what a definition is. And it's pretty self-explanatory, definitely. Weak calf syndrome is when a calf is born alive, but it just has lacks the bigger. So it's weak. Um, pretty, pretty easy to understand what that is. And clinically, I think most of us have probably seen this before, um, unfortunately, but it was those babies that are not able to stand up. They might be slow to rise if they can stand. And then they're really uh, weak, so they don't go to nurse like they're supposed to. They also tend to have a really like low suckle reflex. It may not be there at all. It may be pretty weak. And so we know if they don't have that reflex available, then they're going to have an issue with being able to nurse. This has been further proven by, there was a study out of Canada that showed that um, a calf that had a weak suckle reflex had a 41 times greater chance of having, uh, did not take in the colostrum. So potentially could have that failure of passive transfer. So we know that that's a concern. And then finally, the last thing is that they just aren't able to regulate their body temperature. So depending on the temperature and the environment that that calf is born in, these guys that don't have that vigor to get going, they just can't get into that that, uh, regulation to to keep themselves in that zone where they need to be. So a calf, a thermoneutral zone is just a big word that says this is the temperature where a calf doesn't take any metabolism to keep themselves warm or to cool them down. And that's actually between 59 to 77 degrees. So and we're not calving in 59 degrees right now. And um, we know that we definitely have some cold time out there. So we just need some energy. The calf needs something to get them to go. And if it's colder than 59 degrees, then they need to have that ability to regulate their temperature. And these babies that are weak don't have that ability. 
So what are some of the causes of this? As we think about things that would trigger this greater incidence of seeing weak calf syndrome, what are things that would cause this? So I'd already mentioned that this is definitely a multifactorial condition. So there's a lot of different things that go into it. I'm going to kind of lump it into three main categories. The first category is going to be nutrition. And you touched on that already. Um, We've seen some, unfortunately, some thinner cows coming out of drought, just don't have that body condition score that they need. So that's going to lead to having some some weak babies. Uh, We know that that prepartum time frame, so right before that calf is born, that's when the calf is growing the most. So that the last 60 days of gestation, that calf is putting on 80% of its body weight. So in addition to the body weight, it's also building up its fat reserves and building up what's called brown fat. And brown fat's a really cool organ um, that is found in newborn animals. It it only makes about 2% of the body weight of these babies, but it generates 50% of that metabolic heat production. So again, that's that thermoregulation that it needs. It gives it the energy to get up and go. If that cow is lacking in some sort of nutritional condition herself, then she's not putting all of the fat and energy into those babies and then they're born weak. You had mentioned body condition scores. One of the easiest ways for us to look at a cow and say, you know, we can just visually see her and see where she's at and decide, um, you know, what plane of nutrition that cow is and and then also get a pretty good idea of how her calf is going to perform at birth. So thin cows, weak calves. Um, We know that a thin cow is going to have less uh, IgG antibodies in her colostrum. So again, that's going to cause an issue with those babies to get the immunity that they need when they get to go. You know, just as a refresher, we want to see cows at a body condition score of five when they calve and then a heifer at six because we know the heifers are still growing themselves too. A couple examples would be like if you had a cow that had a restricted protein diet, Multiple studies have shown that those babies are going to be born with less vigor. They're going to have a more harder time regulating their temperature, so a lower heat production. And again, it just takes them longer to get up. So again, we're seeing these weak calves. On the opposite side, if she has restricted energy, um, then we know that those calves, again, will have a lower brown fat because that's the energy needed for those babies to get up, taking them longer to stand through different mechanisms that they just don't have that there. But The other part too, is that remembering when it's really cold out, the cows need energy too. So if if she's not, doesn't have enough energy to keep herself warm, she's definitely not putting it into that calf right before it's born. So those are the two on the nutrition side, but also falling into that category would be vitamins and minerals. And uh, the one, you know, as far as minerals go, there's several different minerals that we might have an issue with seeing. One would be selenium deficiency. That's probably one that comes to the top. That's the white muscle disease where we just see those weak babies. And that, again, is going to depend on your geographic location and what what is out in your environment, because you can't have too much selenium, too. So there there is a fine little tipping point between there. But on the vitamin side, and this is probably what I would you know, I don't I don't have good data right now to tell you what we're seeing currently. But, you know, it just would kind of make sense that we might be seeing some low vitamin A in some forages. Vitamin A comes from the green forage, so the carotene that's found. The cows will eat that. They'll store it in their liver, and they can store it for, I think, up to four months. But the the vitamin A will start to degrade over time, so uh, degrade in the in the stored forages. So if you have, you know, if, if unfortunately you had to find different resources for forage and you had to go back to maybe a couple years past of um, forage that was stocked up, you know, the vitamin A is probably lower in that because it does start to degrade. But also 
we know that drought stressed forages are going to be low in vitamin A. So, and we all know we, that we're dealing with that now. So um, it makes sense that we're probably going to have some low vitamin A babies. I did find a statistic from 2013 out of the, the Iowa Diagnostic Lab. They had, they tested all of the wheat calves that came in and they tested liver levels on those babies. And they were showing that the liver levels in these wheat calves had uh, less than one parts per million of vitamin A where normal is between two to four parts per million. And this is before colostrum ingestion. So that's important to remember because colostrum is actually a really good source of vitamin A. And so if a calf has already taken its colostrum meal, it should have greater than 12 parts per million um, in the liver. But we did, they did see that a lot. And so, um, you know, potentially we may be having some of these low vitamin A issues in these babies. Signs again, they're very weak. Um, sometimes you might notice some night blindness, so they might be bumping into things. So those are kind of signs of vitamin A. Vitamin E also is another one. So vitamin E kind of goes into the same category as selenium with that white muscle disease. Uh, again, the vitamin E levels decrease in the quality of forage. So if you're having to feed low quality forage, we're probably going to be low on the vitamin E and then lead to some of those weak calf issues. So nutrition is a big one. And I think I, I would say that's probably one of the biggest categories. Infectious causes are also there. Probably we don't, we don't see this as much. I think you might want to jump to say that you, you do have some sort of infectious problem, but I don't, you know, it, it's not as common. Um, the two that would rise to mind would be a BVD infection or leptospirosis, but, and, and it's just going to depend on the time that that calf was exposed to it. And when the, when the dam was exposed to the virus um, and or bacteria, and it, it, you know, it can lead to multiple, especially BVD can lead to multiple immature type things, weak calves, dummy calves. Um, but that's something that you want to work with your veterinarian to establish a good herd health plan and to make sure that you're on the right track for that. The last category that I think is probably the biggest factor, maybe even more than nutrition, would be dystocia. Again, dystocia only defined as, you know, problems having being born. So something is preventing that calf from being born and, and prolongs the delivery process. So uh, it's kind of a cascade of events through dystocia. And, and one thing that happens, if you kind of picture when a calf is born and that, that dam is having contractions, it kind of squeezes onto that calf while it's in the birth canal. And that's going to decrease how much oxygen, basically decreases a little bit of blood flow for just a small amount of time, which then decreases oxygen. Well, if you have a calf that is being born prolonged amount of time through that dystocia period, there's a lot of, of depression of that oxygen that, that builds up. So if the cat, when the calf is finally born, it has had these limited time frames that have the oxygen. So they're born with really low blood oxygen levels. When they're born with really low blood oxygen levels, it actually will uh, depress their respiratory system. So they aren't going to take a breath as quickly as they should. And when they can't breathe, then they're not exchanging the carbon dioxide that's building up in exchange for oxygen. So the blood levels of the carbon dioxide build up. And then that leads to something called acidosis. Acidosis then in turn will actually depress the central nervous system, which then leads to this weak calf syndrome. So, so we know that any calf that has had a problem being born is going to have a much harder time, you know, getting up and nursing and getting going. They just don't have that vigor that's there. It also leads into things such as hypothermia, um, potential for that failure or passive transfer if they're not getting the colostrum. 
So there's, there's a lot that goes along with having that dystocia problem. The other thing that goes into it too is the environment. So we talked about if you get into that hypothermia condition after a calf has been born, you know, if they don't have the, the ability to regulate their body temperature, they're going to go down pretty quick. So referencing back to that study that I said at the beginning of those calves that, that died in the first three weeks, that 81%, uh, about 26% of the uh, producers that were interviewed actually said that weather was the primary cause of death for their calves. So um, we all know that we can't control mother nature, but, you know, just being prepared and having a plan for when that does happen or having like areas for that calf to get out, get out of the weather, even just not necessarily a full on shelter, but just a place to escape from the mama cows to get out of the mud and the muck and a windbreak is really important. So again, dystocia, a big problem. We see those babies just having that lack of vigor. They're not standing, they're not nursing. And we just get into that timing concern where they don't get that colostrum in the in that first, you know, four to six hours of life to, to get that good um, immunity buildup. What are some things producers should think about when they encounter this and then also things they should visit with their veterinarian about in terms of how to deal with it? So, you know, unfortunately, handling weak calf syndrome when it when it happens is hard because it's, you know, we've all been there. It's a it's a big uphill battle and it takes time. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of times you don't have the best outcome. So if you have had a problem in the past, it's really important to kind of have somebody come in and assess your situation. So, you know, if, if you feel like you're having a rash of stillborn calves or weak calves, talking to your veterinarian and a herd health plan, you know, getting some testing done would be, it would be a great suggestion so that you're ready for next year. On the nutrition side, it's always important. I mean, we talk about it all the time, but testing your forages, know where you're at, making sure that you're getting enough uh, into that that mama cow before she calves, so that so that you're prepared and that that you get those babies off to the right start. So a lot of these things are are things you got to be thinking about way before calving season. But it also, I think, it really helps to just have another set of eyes, just to even come out to your place. I would always recommend to have, you know, have your veterinarian or have one of us from extension, just, just come visit you and take a look at where you are calving. Um, if you're having, you know, concerns about how to set up a calving area or, you know, just get a good, good eye on your cows and see where they're at for body condition score. Sometimes that, that really helps to have somebody else looking at it when you've seen it day in, day, day in and day out. Uh, it's nice to have somebody else you know, kind of just talk through some things with you so that you're prepared. This is really something to think about how you how you get to this before you get to calving, because unfortunately, weak calf syndrome is, uh, again, multiple issues. And so it's not usually something that you can fix with a needle. You know, there isn't just one treatment that's going to fix all of it. So understanding what is causing your problem is really going to help you in the long run. Well, thanks again for joining me today. Thank you. Well, for more information on herd health-related topics, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. At the website, you can find additional information on these topics.